It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone. And Genesee Health Plan can help. I called and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, healthcare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine, I walk the line I find it very, very easy to be true I find myself alone when each day is through Yes, I'll admit that I'm a fool for you Because you're mine, I walk the line As sure as night is dark and day is light I keep you on my mind both day and night And happiness, I've known, proves that it's right Because you're mine, I walk the line
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we got a great one, but uh, as always, in the month of October, we start and end each show with uh, our celebration of Schlocktober, while other people might be contemplating celebrating Rocktober and Shocktober, we celebrate Schlocktober with a different odd or horrible recording each day. That's one of the new ones for Schlocktober 2020. We had Captain Kirk singing Queen yesterday, so why not Mr. Spock singing uh, Johnny Cash today? Uh, Coming up a little later in the show, we have... um, We're going to be talking about uh, navigating um, this uh, enrollment period for uh, Medicare with uh, Jeff Fernandez from Humana. And uh, then then in the third half of our three-hour tour, uh, Twyla Braze from the Citizens Council for Health Freedom is going to talk about the impact of COVID on rural hospitals. But first, we're going to talk to the author of the um, uh, Jordan Sandor espionage thrillers he has a new book uh which i think is the beginning of a new series uh, featuring lieutenant robbie white a former new york city cop and um this uh this new mystery thriller is called crimes and passion by jeffrey s stevens jeff joins us now by phone jeff welcome to the show thanks so much for having me um this is this is maybe a little bit off the wall, but as a place to get started, when you have a, a series that's uh, going successful like the Jordan Sandor uh, thrillers, um, what made you want to stop doing Jordan Sander stories and introduce a new character like Lieutenant Robbie White? Yeah, it's a great question, and the answer is I did not stop doing Jordan Sandor. I've ah. got another book in the hopper. Um, but I just had this character in my head based on a guy that I knew. Robbie White is based on a New York City detective I knew years ago who's really quite an interesting character, quite an interesting person. And I decided I really wanted to write a book around him and thought this could be interesting. I make him a former New York City cop who ultimately morphs into a private investigator. But in this book, in, in, in the introductory book in the series Crimes and Passion, He's working in the suburbs. He's, it's one of those stories where he moved to the suburbs because his wife was tired of living in New York City with all of its problems, and she ultimately leaves him, and so there he is alone in the suburbs and, and gets caught up in this murder mystery. And he, his job is to solve the mystery, to protect people who are at risk in case there's another murder, and, and so on and so on. And so I just thought that would be a fun thing to do, and so that's how I came up with it. You don't, I mean, as a writer... I know there are certain people, like I admire Lee Child, he writes the Jack Reacher series, but as you may have read, he just retired from writing them because he said, I just couldn't write another one. And for me, I enjoy Jordan Sandor, but I want to try something different, and this was fun. And and is it is it difficult to have uh, sort of two series going at the same time? No, I think I think, you know, you just keep your eye on the ball, basically, and... I had help in the sense that, as I say, I know the character 
uh, who's now passed, but he, who, who Robbie White is based on, and having been a lawyer for all these years and having practiced in New York for many years back in the day, you know, I understand criminal procedure and I understand detective work and so forth, and so that was good. And, and also, I, I, I'll tell you this, Tom, what really inspired the book is at the time I started writing it, I was at that point in life where a lot of friends were getting divorced. I don't know if mm. you went through that. I hope you didn't with people, but I, a lot <laughs> of friends. I've been through it a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, okay. And so I just, I said, wow, this is really something. So I really started to look at that. And I said, boy, could there possibly be a duller book than writing about a bunch of people getting divorced. <laughs> you know, that, is just not, that is not what you're going to stay up late at night reading, right? I mean, that's not going to be it. So I said, well, what if I wrap this around a murder mystery? And so the plot, and as you know, because it, it, it really opens with this, is this woman is murdered right at the opening of the book. I'm not, I'm, this is not a spoiler alert. I'm not right. ruining it for anyone. But she's, she's murdered right at the beginning of the book, and as they begin to investigate, they find out that she has written a journal in which she has kept the sordid details of these various affairs she had with different men. She's a married woman herself, and that's what, that's what sets the book in motion. So I do get to look at marriages, some good, some bad, uh, and so forth, through the eyes of this woman who was a sexual predator, which sort of is like a twist rather than it being a guy who's a sexual predator. This woman was a very attractive woman who was on a mission. And her murder then leads to the question, who did it, and who might know who did it, in which case they might also be at risk, and that's what sort of set it off. So that's why I wrote it, and I think it works. I mean, I've gotten good feedback, and uh, it's, it's an interesting read. It's very different than, uh, than, than doing uh, an espionage thriller. Oh, sure. As, as my editor said, he's a great guy, and I mentioned to you in my email, his name is Ryan Steck. And he's, he's in Michigan. He lives up in Richland. And <laughs> what, you know, what he said was, it's, it's almost easier to write an espionage novel because at the end of any chapter, you know, you and I could be spies together, and we come around the corner and someone starts shooting at us, and the chapter ends and you go to the next chapter. Well, obviously, people are going to want to know who got shot, what happened. There's all this action. Sure. In a mystery, it's, uh, it's more... Mental. I'm not saying it's cerebral. This is not a highbrow novel. It's it's a novel intended as entertainment. But but it's it's different because the pacing is different because you've got to start to piece puzzles together. You don't just go shoot up a bunch of Al Qaeda guys and you know <laughs> and then move on to the next chapter. So it was it was interesting and it was challenging. Well, and you have to care more about the people. That's very well said. You really do, and I think you do. Um, without giving too much more of this away, at the center of the story is a woman psychologist who was running this therapy group in which the murdered woman was involved. And Robbie White becomes more and more convinced that she is the person who probably can figure out who the murderer was, which means she's at high risk. And so that builds the suspense as he's trying to protect her and as, and as pieces of the puzzle fall into place it becomes clearer and clearer that she could be the person to help them. Maybe yes, maybe no, but that's what the mystery is about. But yeah, you have to care about the people. You have to care about her. You have to care about people in marriages that aren't working, people trying to make their marriages work. And then, of course, there are enough people in there that you won't like, I, I assure you, <laughs> that <laughs> the people you could sort of jeer at <laughs> if we're on, on the movie screen, you'd be hissing at them when they come on the screen. 
Um, is writing um, a book, whether it's uh, one of the, the Sandor uh, espionage thrillers or, or this new book, um, do you picture it when you're writing it? Do you have a yes. visual sense of how these people are interacting? Yeah, I have a, I have a sort of a cinematic view of things. So I'm very, as again, I mentioned my editor because sometimes he beats me up over this, but I'm very <laughs> dialogue heavy because I like dialogue. I think readers like dialogue. If you know, you know, like Elmore Leonard is all dialogue. I mean, you know, because it's happening, it's quick, it's 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 real. People talking to each other—that's what really happens in life. I really don't want a two-page description of the brocade drapes in somebody's living room. That's not going to do it for me. So when I'm there, I'm picturing these people are together. They're talking. They're moving. They're going someplace, and it, it's got to be in your head like that. Now, sometimes people have asked me. Do you think in advance of who might play a certain character, like the famous story about Gone with the Wind that Margaret Mitchell purportedly wrote Rhett Butler for Clark Gable, that she had him in her head the whole time? I don't really do it that way. So I know who my characters are. I could see certain people who might play them, and I hope they ultimately get made into movies. There's an option out on the Sander series, in fact, that, that you know, but Hollywood takes forever, so it's, we're not on the screen yet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I visualize it without trying to get too specific, because I want readers to be able to use their own imagination and, and let it be who they see. Um, I, I want to, uh, I, I want to get into some more about, uh, about writing and, and what led you to this writing, but I just realized i forgot to apologize to you for making you sit through uh <laughs> johnny cash's yeah johnny cash is spinning in his grave that thing you mean <laughs> yeah that mr spock uh, leonard nimoy singing uh, a johnny cash song sorry wow. to do, sorry to do that and it's too. one of my favorite songs by the way i love that it's probably my favorite johnny cash song well <laughs> what's 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 funny about that jeff is and i've often said you might love the artist you might love the song but not so much together. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was a Star Trek guy. I, I could I could live with uh, Leonard Nimoy, but not with not singing Johnny Cash. Oh, then you would have loved William Shatner doing Bohemian Rhapsody yesterday. I'm sorry, I did that. <laughs> um, Jeff. I have to ask you to sit through uh, through a break. I have to take a break here. But um, but when we come back, we'll talk some more about uh, about this book and and how you got started writing and lots sure more. Thing. My guest is uh, Jeffrey S. Stevens, and uh, he is the author of the Jordan Sandor espionage thrillers. He has a new mystery thriller called Crimes and Passion. We're going to talk more with Jeff right after we uh, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are uh, WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. And so we'll let them uh, do what they do. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, we'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody, it's me, Tigger, T-I-double-G-R, that spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad America, Council. your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, here Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residents, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with the author of Crimes and Passion, Jeffrey S. Stevens. Jeff, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Thank you. Um, you know, I mentioned you mentioned in the last segment uh, a couple of different authors, uh, Lee Childs and and uh, and a couple of others. Um, do you read a lot of other people's work? Yes. the The answer is yes. Um, I'm fans of certain of certain people. So if you if you want to talk about the espionage genre, uh, I thought that. Uh, and it wasn't always espionage with him, but I thought Robert Ludlum was great. And I know that's going back a ways. But I think nobody did it better than Robert Ludlum. And his books were long and dense, and it didn't matter because I could never put them down. And same could be said of Frederick Forsyth, you know, Day of the Jackal and all that stuff. And he was terrific. Currently, I like Daniel Silva. I like his things. <clears throat> I like uh, um, Steve Berry is terrific. I think that uh, yeah, I read some of Lee Child. I must say, and this is God knows, I'm not criticizing Lee Child, but I found that after a while, the Jack Reacher books all seemed the same to me. I couldn't tell them apart. But um, but A.J. Tata, a former um, uh, United States general, became a novelist, and he writes some interesting military thrillers, and so on. So, the, so there are a lot of guys out there. And then in terms of mysteries and stuff, I like Michael Connolly. He's good, and... and um, and John Grisham, of course. So, yeah, I, I read a lot of things. Now, the truth is, my preference is to read other things. I still go back and read F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway, Somerset Mom, and all that, because sometimes you really want to take a deep dive into characters and into things. You don't want it to just be fluff. And so some books I've written are more serious. I hate to use that word. I don't like, make, you know, like be pretentious and say it's literary fiction, but be more serious in studies into characters, and I've got one of those coming out in December, which is still a fun book, don't get me wrong, there's a mystery behind it, but um, it's different than just shoot 'em ups and, and the, uh, the espionage things. You know, they're fun, but, you know, you read them and then they're over. Is, that's interesting that you say that, because there are stories that people can go back and read um, many times. Absolutely. The, the Razor's Edge by Somerset Maugham is an example of what I think is really a great book and a very readable book. It's not, it's not heavy. It's not like reading War and Peace, which is a great book, but you can't say, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, I think I'll sit down and have a look at War and Peace. <laughs> but The Razor's Edge is, is a fun book, and it's an interesting book and so forth, and you take things away from it. W- one of the things that I learned <clears throat> about this business, when I first started to get published and I would go... And, and they'd ask me to come and do talks, or I'd go to these library groups and everything. When I was doing the Jordan Sandler series, and I'm not criticizing my own work, but I'm just trying to be honest here and say, there wasn't a lot to talk about in a book club. You know, it's like, yes, he's a spy, yes, he's like an American James Bond, yes, Al-Qaeda's the bad guy, and so forth. It, there's not a lot, but, but in Crimes and Passion, I believe there are a lot of issues there. The behavior of various characters, as I say, that you know the, the machinations of the different relationships in these in these affairs this woman had, in the marriages that she affected, and so forth. The the character uh, Robbie White, the character of the psychologist, and so forth. So it's a lot. And again, I I, I cringe because I don't want to say deeper, but there's more to discuss. 
And I have a sister who is very funny because every time I come out with a book, she would get her book club to buy it and say, okay, we're going to discuss my brother's book now. But it got to the point she said, Jeff, we can't be doing these spy thrillers anymore. There's nothing for us to talk about in a book club. And there's not. Spy thrillers, it's like watching James Bond on, on the screen. It's really exciting. It's really entertaining. And it's great. And then it's over. I, try, I, I also want to write things that leave people with something to think about. Now, you mentioned you were a lawyer. Yes. And I remember having... Guilt uh, discharged. <laughs> um, I, I remember asking David Baldacci this question, and I guess I'll ask you. Uh, what do you like better, lawyering or writing? Okay. So, <laughs> a couple of things I have to say. First of all, I'm sorry I left David out because I've met David Baldacci. He is a wonderful human being, as you probably experienced if you had him on the show. Oh, he's been on he several times. Such a, oh, my God, he's so great. He does wonderful things, as you probably know, about literacy programs and yeah. so on. He and his wife, he is just a terrific guy and a terrific writer. I like all, and he, talk about a guy who writes different series. I like all of his stuff. Um, and the answer is, I much prefer writing. Now, I've had fun being a lawyer. I've, I've represented some very interesting uh, cases, some very interesting people. Um, uh, people often ask me stories about the fact that I was the lawyer who started Martha Stewart's magazine and television show, which was a very interesting period in my life. I was, we were together for about 10 years, and uh, before she got in trouble, by the way. I'm sorry to say that she did, but I had nothing to do with that. I was gone by then. But... Um, you know, so that was, I mean, there were exciting things that I did as a lawyer. I've tried cases in front of juries and all of that stuff. I've done criminal cases. I've done civil cases and so on. But writing is really where my heart is. I just love telling stories. I like to touch people if I can. And in, in Jordan Sandor, I tried to create a character like an American hero that we could root for, especially in a time when there's so much division in the country and, and so much unhappiness, and it just shouldn't be that way because we're all Americans in the end. You know, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. We're Americans, and when bad things happen to us, we normally pull together, like 9-11 is a great example, but this pandemic, unfortunately, has just created further divide. So getting off my soapbox, all I want to say is, that I hoped that Jordan Sander was somebody that made people feel good about themselves and about being an American. And, and in Crimes and Passion, I tried to create characters that people could relate to and say, yeah, I know that guy, or I know that woman, or actually some of that reminds me of me, or something like that. I think that's what good writing does. And how did you get the writing bug? I always had it. i got to say, Tom, I always had it. Um, I grew up poor in the Bronx in New York. And um, and I love to write. I used to. I used to. This <laughs> funny to say that when you ask me how did I get it, I used to write puppet shows when I was like five and six years old and perform them for various classes with a friend of mine. I would write the script and we would we would kneel down behind the teacher's desk with these two hand puppets and and do these shows. I mean, I, I always wrote, but my dad was very adamant. He said, "Listen, almost all writers are broke." And we're already we're already broke, so we don't need any more of that. So you need to go to school and do something. What's your second choice? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and I said, and it's a true story, really. And I said, I want to be a lawyer. He said, okay. So when I graduated from college, I went to Penn State, which I'm very proud of. I love that place. And when I graduated, I took a year off, and I said to my dad, before I do anything else, I want to see you know, about writing. And so I got a job and tried to write at night and everything, and I realized, boy, 
this is an uphill climb. And the next year I went to law school. And so all through law school and all through my legal career, I did writing. But it was about 20 years ago, I met a guy who um, was introduced to me by a friend, and he said, Bob, you're a literary agent. Jeff, you're a writer. You guys should get together. Bob, you should read his stuff. And he did, and he took me on, and he started to get things published. Wow. It, yeah, that's very that's, lucky. Yeah, that is that is lucky. I, oh, yeah. You know, Getting an agent nowadays, wow, it is tough. I don't want to spend too much time on David Baldacci, but, but his first uh, successful novel became one of my favorite movies. Um, the one with Clint Eastwood? Yeah. Absolute Power? Yeah. Great. Wasn't that great? It, it was fabulous. The movie was, oh. was wonderful. And, and The movie uh, was great. The book was great. I, I mean, and that is real. I mean, that is, that's what I mean about Baldacci is a clever guy. I mean, he comes up with some interesting, interesting plots. He really does. And, and, and that was terrific. What was what was funny about that is because that that was I mean just just such a, a, a an incredible movie and that was like his first time out. I know. And and I said so basically people return your calls. <laughs> <laughs> and, right. and we laughed about that for a minute, but uh, um, but but getting back to uh, crimes and passion, I mentioned at the beginning of the hour that I thought that this is the beginning of a series now. Yes, yes, already already written the second one uh, with Robbie White, who he teams up this time with a lawyer, and uh, we're in the final stages of, of rewriting, and then hopefully we publish that one. And uh, that'll come out in hardcover. Uh, Crimes and Passion is in is in uh, is on Amazon. It's on an uh, ebook, you know, on a Kindle or on a print on demand, which is like a big trade paperback size, but not in hardcover. The next one will be hardcover, um, which sometimes happens when you start a new series. And um, yeah, so we're we're going to go forward with it, and uh, a completely different mystery in the next one. But not getting ahead of myself, uh, I enjoyed writing that one as well. Do you, um, when you start a series like this, do you have an idea that um, it's going to be three books, five books, seven books? No. No, I, I can tell you, honest to God, um, my, when I wrote the first Jordan Sandor novel, it was a standalone because, as with many of my books, it's based on somebody real. It was somebody I knew who worked for the CIA. And I said, this would be kind of a fun thing to do. And so I tried writing it, and that was the first book that I got published of, of my various novels. And they liked it so much, they gave me a deal for the next two books, which I had no idea what I was going to write. But they liked the character, and so I did it. And when I wrote this uh, Crimes and Passion, I had no idea that this would be first of other books. But when I was done, I liked the character enough, and I thought there was an idea that I had, and so now... You know, we're going to go forward with it in a series. And, you know, it's very interesting, too, in the market because what's happening a lot in writing, as you know, it's, it's a whole new world out there. I mean, bookstores are shrinking and disappearing, and, you know, there's only one big chain left, which is really Barnes & Noble. They're the 800-pound gorilla. And then, of course, there's Amazon. And so tastes really change, and what the market indicators are, that thrillers, espionage thrillers, are, are dying out a little bit. People are a little tired of it. The, the, and, the, and they're going back to murder mysteries. You can always 
be happy with a murder mystery. And that seems to be where the market is going. Now, that had nothing to do with my writing these books. That was just what I was writing at the time. So hopefully, you know, we'll pick up a uh, head of steam on, on the series. But that's where the market seems to be. Whodunits will never die. Never. <laughs> never. Not, not, from, not, not from Edgar Allan Poe on down. They're never going to die. They're, you know, they're, they're a staple. And there's so many different ways to go with them, too. You could be a very, very gory ones or, or what they call cozy mysteries, as you know, or, or different types of, of uh, murder mysteries. But in the end, you know, look, look I, we were talking the other day about this and saying, like, I love the Columbo series. I don't know if you're a fan of that, but I love Peter Falk in that series. But it's an, interesting, it's an interesting mystery series because in the opening scene, you know who the murderer is. Yeah. So the, so the fun is watching him figure it out. So it's really not a whodunit. It's how does he figure it out. So there are so many different ways you could approach murder mysteries. And, and you know, this is, um, this is just mine. And they lend themselves to the creation of great characters like Columbo or Sherlock Holmes or absolutely, you know, the, the, or Baldacci's characters and and you know or any of them or Connolly, uh, Harry Bosch. I mean, you know, the, it's great stuff. You know, this is um, you mentioned that you know you have something in the works to to see Sandor. Uh, the Sandor stories uh, on the big screen, or or possibly the small screen. I'm not sure what how that's going, but um, when that when that happens, will it bother you that that people are making uh, changes to your to your work? No, I, I there's a fellow by the name of Brandon Hogan, and he he heads up this company, this uh, this production company that bought the rights. And I kind of trust him. I, I said to him, I, I'm not one of these... There are, there are certain books, but let, let me say it this way, Tom. There are certain books that I've written, not published yet, although one, as I say, is coming out in December. I wouldn't want anybody to fiddle with that, because that's a very personal book to me. The characters are very personal. The story is very emotional. I would not want people fiddling with that. But he literally said to me about Sandra, he said, well, what if we took two of the four books and sort of blended them together to have so much more action for a full feature film or a series on Netflix? I said, go for it. I mean, as long as you don't destroy the integrity of Sandor, the main character, as long as he's the same, we could play with the plotting. Um, so that's the kind of series it is, even like they do with James Bond, where you know they, they mix up the various books and so forth or add things. But with other stories, I, I would not be so you know so quick <laughs> to let them fiddle with my with my plot. Yeah, I always wonder in the James Bond books how a criminal organization like Spectre comes and goes. <laughs> I, know. I know Spectre and Smirsh. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. And some some they try to be true to the the story. I mean, like when they redid Casino Royale. That was pr there. A lot of that was close to the original book, which was the first James Bond novel. After he did some short stories, um, but you know the later ones. I mean, things like Moonraker and things that were so ridiculous. And and I like Roger Moore a lot, but and he was a very good person, I guess, and did all that wonderful stuff for UNICEF. But that those scripts were just idiotic for my money. But. You know that you can't always hit a home run. I suppose. Well, after you know the first five or six, they they just started becoming caricatures of Absolutely. themselves. I, at, at least as far Connery. as as far as the movies go. Yeah, 
Yeah, after Sean Connery, it was just different. And Daniel Craig has done a good job, and I know he doesn't like being James Bond anymore or whatever, but he's made a couple of really good movies. Skyfall, I thought, was really good with Javier Bardem as the, as the, uh, as the villain. But, you know, the purest, I mean, for me, the purest one was From Russia With Love. As a, that was just a great movie. Yeah. It all made sense. It was I great agree. tension. You know, it, it wasn't all these crazy devices and all this nonsense. But, you know, it's what people like. Well, they, they are fun. Even, they are fun. Even, I'm even, looking forward to the new one. Yeah, even when they get silly, they're fun. Um, yeah, exactly. A little bit like the incarnations of Star Trek. Uh, yes. You know, it doesn't matter what they do to it as long as, you know, as long as they transport from place to place, I'm good with that's it. That's right. That's right. As long as we're on the same page about that, yes, we're yeah. fans and that's it. That's yeah, it that's right. Um, I, I want to get back to, to something that always fascinates me, Jeff, and that's the creative process. Okay. Um, are you a real disciplined writer? Do you, you know, have an outline and a schedule and and all of that, or do you? Are you like these these writers who go off in a cabin someplace and three months later come out with a book um, after binge writing and eating crackers for three months? Yeah, no, no, no. That was those are the famous stories about Balzac, the French writer. When he ran out of money, <laughs> he would do just that. He'd go off to the country. He'd just stay there for a few weeks, write something, come back, sell it, and go back to partying. But, no, on the other hand, I've heard stories about Michael Crichton, who was obviously a fabulous writer, and he was so strict. I mean, he had a computer schedule about how many pages per day he was going to write and all that. I'm in between. I could say this. I think for anybody out there who writes, they know you should always write with an outline. People talk about writer's block. The way to be sure to get writer's block is to not have an outline. Because, you know, you're writing and everything's great and you're feeling good, and then you get to Chapter 6 and you're not sure where to go next, and what do you do now? So what I do is I start with an idea and then an idea of the characters, and then, as I was told a long time ago, figure out how the book ends. That's critical because you want your readers to be paid off at the end, and then figure out how you're going to open it, then write an outline. And it doesn't have to be detailed, it doesn't have to be 50 pages or anything like that, but just get a general idea of how you're starting, you know where you're going to finish, and then just fill in the middle stuff so you have a general idea, and you'll take detours along the journey. But I just find I've never had a writer's block problem because I knew basically where I was going. So if you and I said we're going to get in a car in, from Maine and we're going to drive to Los Angeles, that's good because we know where we started and we know we're going to end up. Now, along the way, we may stop in Las Vegas or we may want to see Mount Rushmore. But the key is that we know basically the, the, the journey or, or the direction we're going to go. And that's very important. Otherwise, you get lost. So my advice is always work with an outline. And in terms of discipline, you really have to get up in the morning and write. I mean, there was a writer by the name of George Higgins who wrote The Friends of Eddie Coyle, and he, the best advice I ever read in any book about writing was, writers write. I mean, it may be junk, it may be stuff you're going to throw out later, uh, it doesn't matter, but you keep writing. Later on, you could do the rewrites, you could sort it out, but if you just sit around talking about it, it'll never get done. I, I uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, and unfortunately he didn't say it to me, but in an interview, um, Stephen King was mm. asked if he wrote to a schedule or to a muse, and he says, oh, always to a muse, but fortunately the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. 
exactly right. <laughs> exactly, that's a great line. It, it is know. a great line, and that's why. It I, is a great line. People, people talk about, you know, like waiting for inspiration. It's like waiting for Godot. You wait for inspiration, you'll never write a novel. I mean, you might write a poem, you might write a short story, but you're never going to write a novel. A novel is a marathon, and you have to be disciplined enough to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to write, and you can miss days and all that. I understand that, but you've got to stay with it because otherwise you'll lose the thread, you'll lose where you, where you want to go with it and so forth. Yeah, it, it, you, you, can't, you, you can't just wait for you know, that wonderful uh, you know, uh, epiphany to occur where you say, this is it. You might get that for a chapter where I'll wake up in the middle of the night and say, oh, God, that thing that Tom Sumner said yesterday was so brilliant, I've got to put it in this, and I'll make a note to myself, but you don't get a whole novel out of that. No, but I mean you're brilliant, Tom. But I don't get a whole novel out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to have a lot more conversations for that, Jeff. <laughs> um, exactly. um, and you remind me of a friend of mine. Uh, he's he's actually a songwriter, but but he does that. He has a, a notebook and and he jots down ideas for chord changes and lyrics and things. Oh, I'll bet. And he calls it his boneyard. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's what it is. I mean, and you know, you get those ideas, and I, I come up with those things. Sometimes I just come up with a word. Believe it or not, I really think, like, this one word just didn't sound right to me yesterday, and, and I'll go back and say, that's what it should have been. <clears throat> it shouldn't have been relationship. It should have been connection or something. <clears throat> I was talking to a writer the other day who had written a book called Beneficence, and I'd never heard the word. You know, it, it just kind of took me by surprise. I don't know why. But um, she was telling me that her publisher suggested the title, and she was a little put off by it. She was like, what, what, what is this word? And then she w went back through the book and found out she'd used it about four times. Huh. And, no kidding. And, and she didn't even recognize it. It, it was It was kind of funny. Um, Jeff, I'm having so much fun talking with you, and we're about a minute and a half away from another break. Okay. I can, I can wrap it here, or if you'd like to stick around, I'd love to talk to you a little bit I'd more. I'd be happy to, to talk some up. more. That's great, Jeff. Um, because one of the things I, I want to talk about, I want to stay with this uh, this idea of creativity, because I just I have this picture of you after the first Jordan Sandor book was published and the publisher said this is great we want two more and you're sitting there looking at a blank screen um <laughs> you know the, the question is going to be then what <laughs> um and and we'll talk about that in uh okay. and more coming up in this uh this final segment but um my my guest is uh, jeffrey s stevens he is the uh, author of the jordan sandor espionage thrillers and a new series featuring lieutenant robbie white has uh, debuted with uh a new novel called Crimes and Passion. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us uh, at uh, TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. But we are going to take a, uh, a short break, and we'll come back and talk some more about crimes and passion and writing in general with author Jeffrey S. Stevens. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. 
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed. 
a magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hey this is first ward city councilman eric mays and you're listening to the tom sumner program Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, my guest this hour is the author of a uh, new book called Crimes and Passion. His name is Jeffrey S. Stevens. And, uh, Jeff, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. This is... Uh, sure, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is a fun conversation. I mentioned just before the break that I had this picture in my mind from something you said earlier in the hour about uh, having completed your first Jordan Sander novel. And uh, it, it got published, and the publi- publisher said, okay, let's make a deal for two more. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of painted this picture in my mind of you sitting there with a blank screen going, okay, now what? <laughs> <laughs> there is some of that. There um, is some of that, sure. But, but I often wonder if, um, if there isn't an element when you get to the end of a novel where you think to yourself, but wait, there's more. Yeah, but there's also, yes, that's true when it's a character that you like and it could be a repeatable character. Like this this book, Crimes and Passion, has a character who will be a repeatable character. The story that uh, is the basis of my novel coming out in December, it's not likely, it's a standalone book. So when I was writing Jordan Sandor, I had ideas about <clears throat> what might come next. You know, and but there's also... This, it's a very strange thing because you asked earlier about the law and writing, and there's uh, there's an analogy for me between trying a big case and writing a novel. When you try a big case and it comes to an end, whatever the result, hopefully you win, or you finish a novel, you have put so much of your heart and soul into that effort that there's this void that you face at the end. So when you talk about the, the, the blank screen about trying to come up with the next book... There is that sense like, wow, you know, I've been doing nothing but this for the last year, and now suddenly it's over, I, I, you know, and you have to go to the next thing, and it's an, it's an interesting dynamic. And so, yes, there's a sense that there's more when you write a book where the character is someone that you're going to want to see again. Like, I hope to see Jordan Sandor numerous times. I hope to see Robbie White numerous times. And so that makes it an easier transition. Um, and then, of course, the fun is when you see the book come out, you feel really good about that, but then it's all done. I mean, as, as uh, I don't know if you're an Alfred Hitchcock fan, I am, and, you know, he famously explained that by the time he starts filming the movie, it's almost boring to him because he has imagined the entire thing in his head already. He's got every scene down in his mind, on storyboards, uh, you know, wardrobe and the placement of the actors, and now the drudgery is filming the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's so, he's already done the movie. It's he's it's, done the movie in his head. It's like, you know, that's the interesting thing about. I hope you don't mind me going off at a tangent. No, not at all. About the creative process, um, Walt Disney um, was an amazing guy. I read a biography of him. It was one of the longest biographies I ever read. I, I think it was by Neil Gabler or something like this years ago. And it was really an amazing story. I mean, this is a guy who, who literally had to hock his shoes because he didn't have any money to eat when they first went out to Hollywood, he and his brother Roy. And he had to get them out of hock when he had, when he had an interview 
because somebody wanted to buy this, this cartoon about this little mouse, which is a lot different than the Mickey that we ultimately knew. But after he had died, there was a, an interview with Roy Disney at Disney World, and they were talking about how phenomenal it was in Epcot Center and everything. And this reporter said to Roy Disney, and you may know the story, he said to, the, he said to Roy Disney, I, you know, this may sound like a poignant or a sad question for me to ask, but, you know, how do you feel about the fact that your brother never got to see all of this? And Roy Disney just looked at him and smiled and he said, my brother saw all of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> hadn't heard that. When you're an that, artist but... like that, I'm not putting myself in that category, but when you're an artist like that, you've imagined this whole thing. I mean, Walt Disney would not have been surprised. And he had died, you know, long before it was completed, but he saw it. And that's what Hitchcock did. And so when you're, when you're writing a book and, you know, you're imagining all these characters and you're seeing all these things, when it's over, you know, Jordan Sander is still alive for me, and so is, uh, you know, so is Robbie White and so forth. Um, you know, we, we mentioned David Baldacci, and, and I posed this question to him because he had... Um, he had just done a book that that had the uh, Grand Canyon was featured in it, and it, coincidentally, he and his wife had taken a trip to the Grand Canyon not long before the book was written. Right. And Got I it. asked him, I said, "Is is everything you do fodder for an upcoming book?" Um, and and the same with characters because uh, Jeff, you mentioned uh, earlier in the uh, hour that. Um, that Robbie White, for example, uh, Lieutenant Robbie White, a former New York City cop, um, featured in this this new book, Crimes and Passion, was modeled after a former New York City cop that you actually knew, and yeah, it got doing well. It got me wondering: Do your friends and family hide out now so they don't become part of uh, your next book? <laughs> yeah, I think so to some extent. Someone gave me a pillow that's in my office that says. Be careful what you say to me. You may wind up in my next novel. So, <laughs> yes, it is, it is true that, you know, that, that these people and these events, uh, funny you say that about the Grand Canyon because many years ago, my wife and I took a vacation and we went to, I know this sounds very hoity-toity, but we were on, trust me, we were on a budget at the time, but we wound up in Portofino, Italy, which is a beautiful, it's the Italian Riviera, it's this beautiful little town, it's just an amazing place, it was magical. And when I wrote the first Jordan Sander novel, as I said to you, one of the first things I do is I have to know how it ends. I said, you know what? I'm going to have this end in Portofino. And the original title of the book was The Portofino Deception. And the publisher said, nah, that's not so good, because, you know, Portofino, that's going to sound like a little bit, you know, too touristy or something, or like, or, you know, like, you know, you're hi-hatting people. And so we came up with targets of deception. But the, the, the climax of the book takes place in Portofino, and it was my fictionalized version of what I had experienced there. But, yes, you know, everywhere you go, you know, it, it, it becomes part of it. I mean, you know, whether it's, you know, I've been in the Far East, I've been in, in Europe, and I use them in the books. I use those locales. And uh, so then do you jot those things down? Like like you, you said, you wake up sometimes with an idea and you'll make a note. Um, That's is, a good question. I, I would tell them I would say rarely when it comes to locations like that, because you're, you know, you're not going to forget uh, Portofino or Paris or anything like that. Now, 
what I do is I, I do kind of keep like little, so I guess I do keep, I don't want to say diaries or journals, but I keep notes about the places I've been so that I'll go back and look and say, oh, that was the hotel I stayed in because I won't remember the name. I'm bad on names, but, but I will go back and say, oh, yeah, that was the hotel and so on and so on. And so, yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful. But it's the experiences that you have and the people that you meet that, that really matter. Um, and it's, it's, you know, that's, I guess that's the fabric of life. I'll t- if I may, I'll tell you a quick funny story since we're talking about the Jordan Sanders series. Yeah. I knew this, this gentleman, and he was a good friend of mine. We were young, and it was in the day, and we were having fun. And, and he lived in New York. And one night, we were going to go back to his apartment. I forget where we were, but we were going to go back to his apartment because then we were going to go out on the town. And I remember it was a Sunday night. And we get off the elevator in his building in New York, one of these big high-rise things, you know the routine. And at the end of the corridor is a guy standing there in a trench coat, like it was central casting. He was like standing in a trench coat. And the amazing <laughs> thing was, it was August. I swear this is a true story. So oh, as funny. we got to this fellow's, my friend's door, he said, oh, um, give me a second. And he goes, walks down the corridor, mumble, mumble, mumble with this guy, comes back, he said, Jeff... I really can't go out for drinks tonight. I'll tell you what, um, you know, grab a cab back to your place, and, you know, I'll talk to you during the week. And I didn't see him for two weeks. So when he came back, and we had become pretty close friends, I said to him, what was all that about? And over the course of time, he explained to me that he was a, he was a businessman. He worked for a big corporation, but he had also been a Green Beret, and he continued to do, as he said, work for Uncle Sam. It turned out he was actually a CIA agent, and he was a, a field agent. I mean, he was the real deal. He was not a desk soldier. He was a real <laughs> agent. So he told me what he could that wasn't, you know, uh, top secret or whatever, and that's how I came up with the idea to write, to write a book about a spy, because in the first book, you don't know he's a spy in the beginning, and because I didn't know he was a spy, and that's how Targets of Deception starts. <laughs> but I, I'll never forget that as long as I live, because it was, so, it was almost absurd that the, I mean, if you're going to be, you know, clandestine, you shouldn't be wearing a trench coat in the middle of August, you know, at 8 o'clock at night, but that guy was, and the next thing you knew, my friend was gone for two weeks. That's so. like right out of the Pink Panther. It really, um. it really was. <laughs> that's what it looked like. Exactly. It was like Peter Sellers, everything that's, but the hat. That's, that's, the, that's the picture <laughs> I got when you said that. Um, you know, this is uh, a little melancholy for me because I'm having such a good time talking with you, Jeff, but we got to wrap it up. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do have a website. It's jeffreystevens.com. The Stevens is with a PH. We're upgrading it now as we speak, but uh, you could go there if you like. And obviously on Amazon, if you look up Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Stevens, and you'll find the Jordan Sandor books, and hopefully you'll find Crimes and Passion. And this has really been a pleasure, Tom. And in the interest of full disclosure, I have to tell you at the end of this interview that my best friend's name is Scott Sumner, and he lives in Fairfield, Connecticut. But I asked him, really? and I don't think there's any connection. No, I, I don't think there is. But uh, I have to go to Ancestry.com or something. But yeah. anyway, but thank you so much for having me. This was really a lot of fun. Well, and I hope we do it again when the next, uh, when the next uh, Robbie White novel comes out. That would be great. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Jeffrey S. Stevens uh, lives in Greenwich, Connecticut. He is the author of the Jordan Sandor espionage thrillers and the new series based on the exploits of Lieutenant Robbie White. 
um, beginning with uh, his latest book, which is um, called Crimes and Passion. We'll be right back. You pilots, get off my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! <laughs> 